Good morning. If you have a Bible handy, you can be turning to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We're going to begin there here in just a few moments. While you're turning there, I'll say, first of all, to uh, Heath, I'm going to turn this on in case this gets to popping too much, as it was doing a few minutes ago. Uh, some of you give me a hard time and say that I can't talk uh, without my using my hands. Uh, and whenever this thing gets to popping sometimes, I feel like I can't move my feet. And that makes it really hard, too, sometimes when I'm trying to, to be still. So uh, that doesn't necessarily make it shorter or longer. I'll warn you about that. But uh, I'll go ahead and turn this on in case that uh, starts.
Now, there are all sorts of things that we do with our guilt and our remorse sometimes. And what I'd like for us to do to begin this morning is to look at five human ways that we sometimes deal with our guilt. We're not going to think, first of all, biblically, but we want to think, first of all, about our, about our human response to that sometimes. The first thing that we sometimes do when we think about how do we handle our guilt is we destroy. Well, what do we destroy? Well, we often destroy ourselves. We dive into sin, we dive further into sin, and we destroy ourselves. Some people just throw everything away, right? They throw everything away and they destroy their bodies, they destroy their minds, they destroy their lives. And you know, you know how sad this is. As I look around the room and what we've come to know about you and your family and your lives, it touches everyone sometimes. Because we may all have that family member. We jokingly or sometimes say, well, maybe they're the black sheep. But sometimes it's much more serious than a, a name or even joking about maybe that they're the ones who are kind of always in trouble. But some people will destroy themselves by diving further and further into sin. A second thing, and I really kind of wanted this to be first, but you may notice that we're going to kind of go on a scale here. We're going to kind of shift from, from one end to the other. But this might be first because this might be the most popular one, right? One thing we do with our guilt is we blame everyone else. It's not our fault. Other people are putting us in the position that we are in. But we know, we know that we're lying to ourselves when we do that. And we're hurting the people that we are blaming. Not only are we hurting, but we're hurting others. We certainly use this a lot in preachers and in, as preachers and in illustrations to describe the fact that our society and our culture has become one of blaming others. Often that's done legally. You know, the things, the, the age-old example I always remember as a kid, right, and many of you have heard the preacher use it before, is the person who spilt coffee on themselves, right? I think it was McDonald's, as the illustration goes, and burnt themselves and sued McDonald's, right, because the coffee was too hot. Or, or we sometimes say, and sadly, that a lot of times kids, right, grow up to be young adults and they have problems and they say, well, it's all my parents' fault. We're affected by people around us, but sometimes when we have guilt, our response is to blame others. Number three, we might say that another way that we respond to guilt is to deny. Deny the guilt, and here's the thing, I didn't have room for it in the bulletin, but also you might add into that, plunge further into sin. We deny it and we go further into sin. We sometimes pretend that we do not have any guilt and then we just engage in more and more sins, trying not to feel guilty for what we're doing. But do you know what more and more sins bring? They bring more and more guilt along the way. But it's very easy for us to simply deny the guilt that we feel and just go further into the sin. Number four, we also sometimes ignore. Again, if you're kind of, some of you like to make extra notes around the side, connected with ignoring the guilt is we sometimes turn up the noise we turn up the noise and we ignore the guilt right there's so many things going on in our lives that we just turn all that up a little bit more I feel guilty about something I've done so I throw myself into my work I feel guilty about something I've done to my spouse and so I just turn up the kids right and I just get more involved in sports or we get more involved in activities and I turn up the kids in such a way and then my marriage takes a back burner, back burner, it's put on the back burner, takes a back seat, and then we think about the fact that then I can ignore that guilt. 
We plunge ourselves into our work, into our schedules, so that we don't even have to think about it. We don't have any time. But each of us has experienced the fact, the reality of this is, as much as we try to ignore it, our guilt eventually catches up with us. You can forget it for a time. You can do your best to forget it for a time, but it does not go away. In fact, many of you remember maybe from elementary school, or I guess probably older than that, middle school into high school, the 1843 short story by Edgar Allan Poe, The Tale Tale Heart, and how that scares all of us into realizing that sometimes when we have guilt, that's a good thing and not meant to be a bad thing. All four words that we've looked at so far don't work. Destroying, ignoring, all of those do not work. Another way that we might say here, oh, got a little worse there. I think I turned this back on, Travis, on the uh, lapel mic, if you want to try it again. The next thing we might say is that we can learn and grow. We can learn and grow from our mistakes. Of course, you can already see that this is the way that God would have us to work, right? This is what God would have us to do. The world doesn't tell us that we need to learn and grow from our mistakes. The world often says there is no God. If there is no God, why would we try to learn and grow from our mistakes? It doesn't make any sense. But we might even add to this particular point that we need to learn and we need to grow and we need to change. We need to learn and we need to grow and we need to change. Of course, that's what we're going to talk about as we get into the lesson a little more this morning. But that is what we need to do as we think about how we should live for God. How do we handle our guilt? Well, the truth is, as we think about our life, when we have guilt in our life, a steady diet, if you will, of guilt brings us nothing but pain. A steady diet of guilt, and really with that, the constant practice of trying to avoid sin just brings us about more and more pain in our lives. We think about that man who wrote Psalm 32 that we mentioned a few moments ago. Psalm 32 in verse number 5. He tells us exactly what we need to do. He's been talking about his bones wasting away, about his life being so hard. But he says in verse number 5, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You see, a steady diet of guilt brings us pain, but the cure, the cure is confession. As he says here, the cure is confession to our creator. To share with him our guilt helps us to learn and to grow and to change. It helps us to hopefully avoid blaming, ignoring, denying, and destroying. When we think about feeling that, when we think about following the path of guilt and of sin, we want to be happy. We don't want to waste away. We don't want to hurt others. And so what we need to do then is we have to confess. I think sometimes that involves confessing to our creator. It, do, it should almost every time, I guess, is the better way to say that. But I also think that it should involve confessing to each other. We know that in the New Testament, that is the way the Bible speaks that Christians should act. Confessing our sins to one another is one of the hardest things we do. But what it helps us with is it helps us with our guilt. You recognize that sometimes when we have problems in the church, sometimes when people leave us for a season, sometimes when they step away from our assembly, maybe sometimes when people leave, 
It's, they want to blame the church, but it's because of their guilt. Confessing our sins to one another is going to be one of the hardest things we can do, but as we do that, we're able to actually hold tighter to one another and not be separated. What we feel is they're going to think less of me, they're not going to like me, there's going to be problems, but that's not what really happens if we all treat it the way we should. We can forgive, we can encourage, and we can move forward together recognizing that we all have guilt and we are all in need of confession. First and foremost, to God the Father, but also certainly to each other. There's one more passage that we want to examine this, this morning together. If you have your Bibles, you can be turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Do you know what's interesting about guilt? Humans are the only ones who feel this kind of burden. Have you ever considered that before? That humans are the only ones that actually feel guilt, who feel regret and remorse? Certainly there are people who don't feel that. Sometimes that may be due to some kind of problem or disorder. We think about those who have been accused or maybe convicted of, of committing uh, things like mass murder or something like that. Sometimes they move past that feeling of remorse or regret that causes them to do something so awful. But humans are the only ones who feel this. I like the way one person said it. Have you ever turned on the National Geographic channel and seen a lion moping in remorse of killing an antelope? I don't think you usually see that when you turn on the National Geographic channel, right? When we think about animals, even a few years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was now, but at SeaWorld they had one of those tragedies where a, you know, a killer whale and there's a trainer working with that who dies. The, the killer whale doesn't feel remorse. It's an accident. It's something tragic that happens, but they don't feel guilt because animals don't carry that with them the rest of their life the way that we sometimes do. So what are we supposed to do with the guilt that we feel? Why do we have these feelings of regret? Well, we've looked at human reactions for a few moments together this morning. Let's touch on and see what the Bible says. Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and you notice it's a bit of a lengthy passage. We won't time, take time to read it all, but look first of all to begin at verse number 10. I'm going to read this passage from the English Standard Version. You may have that or something different in front of you. <coughs> Pardon me, but it says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So let's notice, as we think about what kinds of grief we can have, that Paul says here there are two, type, two types. The first type is worldly grief. The first type of grief that we can sometimes feel is worldly grief. Worldly grief, though, if I can suggest it to you, worldly grief is upset, being upset at being caught. Right? That's what worldly grief is. Worldly grief is sorrow because you must experience the consequences of your actions. It's not sorrow because of what we've done against God. It's sorrow because we do not like the situation that we're in. I won't go through the long list, but if we could go around the room, and all the adults here at least certainly, could probably name a movie star, a politician, or an athlete, or someone else who has stood before cameras and our country and said, I'm sorry. But they're only sorry, most of us can ascertain, because they've gotten caught. 
because they've had to resign their position, because they've been fined or had to give up money or they've lost endorsements or whatever it might be. And again, I won't go through the names, but you could probably think of several right off the top of your head of these people who experience worldly grief. They're sorry, but they're sorry only because they got caught. If the only reason we are sorry for what we have done is because we are caught or because we do not like the consequences that we must feel, then our regret, our grief, our guilt is going to lead to death. And that's it. Worldly grief is not going to bring us closer to God. If you experience worldly grief, you're going to remain separated from God and remain in your sin because you may say that you are sorry, but you're not willing to change. You don't actually feel grief or guilt that's going to lead to a change in your life. You're not going to learn and grow and change. You're probably going to experience one of the other four words that we used just a few moments ago. So Paul says, first of all here, that worldly grief produces death. But then as you've seen in the title of the lesson this morning, the second kind of grief is godly grief, or as I said there, good grief. No, we're not going to talk about Charlie Brown, or we're not even going to talk about the grief that we mean when we're talking about death or mourning. See, if you saw the title or someone sees the title, they see good grief, they may think we're talking about good mourning. Or good, those feelings, the proper way to, to experience the death of a loved one and to go through that. Really, we're talking about good guilt or good grief. Again, as the English Standard Version translate these words here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10. We're not going to examine it in great detail this morning, but can I remind you that David gives us an excellent example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and in 2 Samuel chapter 12. You remember what happens with David as he is on the rooftop and he sees Bathsheba. He goes through all the tragic actions of, of what he does in trying to, uh, trying to kill Bathsheba's husband, all of these things. And of course... As we think about 2 Samuel chapter 12 in particular, Nathan the prophet approaches David and tries to expose him for his sin. David doesn't turn up his nose, he doesn't turn his shoulder, he doesn't argue and fight back. But as Nathan turns that parable, if you will, or that story back around on David and tells him that he is the one who is in the wrong, in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse number 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. He owns up to it. He's willing to learn and to grow and to change. And of course, you, I know you are familiar with Psalm 51, the psalm that is attributed to David having been written after this encounter with Nathan. We sing it sometimes, many of you know it, because we sing it with our young people as the song, Create in me a clean heart, O God. But David declares in verse 4 of Psalm 51, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. In all of this, David has sinned repeatedly. He lusted, he commits adultery, he deceives, he murders, he deceives some more. But David's response is not denying, although we can see that he maybe was denying for a time, right? Not ignoring, although maybe he ignored it for a time. 
Not blaming, but in the end, in the appropriate way, in the good grief or godly grief kind of way, we see that David says, he and he alone has sinned against the Lord. Godly grief understands that sin is an offense to God. I used this the other day, and I can't remember where it may have been at the marriage retreat. I've used it here before. But I've told the story many times of how when I worked for the steel business that I worked for in the manufacturing facility, that I walked up one time on a couple of men who were arguing, and they were really kind of joking and, and kind of messing with each other a little bit, as we say. But they were using foul language. A lot of four-letter words were flying around at each other. And the one that I walked up on, as one was on the forklift, the one that I walked up on turned around to me and said, excuse me, preacher, and then went right back to cussing, right, the guy that he was cussing out. I mean, that's kind of the idea here. It's not me. Godly grief understands that sin is an offense to God. The problem that we sometimes have in confessing our sins to one another is you don't want the preacher to find out about it. You don't want the elders to know that there's a problem. And the truth is, none of it is an offense to me. It can be, I guess, sometimes. Maybe if we have a problem or if the elders and you have a problem with something you've done. But most of the time, it's not an offense to us. It's an offense to God. And Paul says here that godly grief, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. When we simply give lip service and say I'm sorry, as those politicians and athletes sometimes do, they are not leading to a change or salvation without regret. They're just giving lip service. But when we truly go through guilt in the proper way and godly grief it leads to us changing as we talk about repentance being a change of mind that leads to a change of life it truly leads to a pre, uh, repentance that leads to salvation and we don't have to regret anything at all repentance and this is not meant to be a lesson about that but it is not an external change of life without the internal change of mind You've heard me use it before and other preachers. We often face one direction and we talk about that it is the true turn around. You know, not a partial turn, not a little bit, not a halfway, but a true turn around. Many people get halfway or partial because they'll give the lip service and we certainly need to confess. We certainly need to confess our sin. But we must change our mind and we must change our life. The problem when we don't change our mind is that we, it's hard to change our life, right? Somebody says, well, I will stop doing that, and maybe they do for a short time, but without the true change of mind, the true repentance, turning towards God, they often fall right back into what they had been doing. God says that he wants us to experience godly or good grief. And we learn from this passage here, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 is often used to discuss the fact that repentance and guilt are not the same thing, right? That's probably an extended lesson for another time, but we can feel guilt, but yet not truly repent. It's going to take us going further than just thinking about it. It's going to just take us having that feeling in the pit of our stomach. You know that feeling, right? And it's uncomfortable. Right, I have it sometimes, maybe not when I've sinned against somebody, but when something's gone wrong, 
you know, maybe I realize I've said something that I, I shouldn't have said or I committed to something that I, I shouldn't have committed to because of time and I've got to call them back and tell them I can't and I get that feeling. And sometimes if I don't do it right away, right an hour or two later, I go, why do I kind of feel weird, you know? It's because I realize I've got to do something that's uncomfortable, it's difficult. It may not be sinful or that, that way, but it just may be something I've got to go through. When we have that feeling, having that feeling is not enough, although it can be good to help us change. To sum it up, maybe this is a good way to sum up what we've said in this lesson, this particular lesson. We could say that guilt is good. Do you know that guilt is the overwhelming cause of many of our hurts, right? Certainly, as we think about psychologically, but even physically sometimes. As I talked about that feeling in your stomach, maybe you have sleepless nights. I saw one devotional that was kind of talking about guilt and this topic, and it went through all the this, this, this statistics about how many people have sleepless nights, how many people suffer from, suffer from insomnia or many things because they have these physical ailments that maybe they're coming out of that psychological side when it comes to the guilt that we feel. The truth be, truth be told, there's something that exists in our culture today, in our society, that believes that anything difficult must be avoided at all costs. You know, sleepless nights, mental anguish, disabled days because of guilt, those are not God's desire for His children. He doesn't want us to stay in that kind of debilitating state. We realize, though, that guilt is good if we allow it to lead us to our God's greatness. When we think about worldly grief or guilt, when we think about godly grief or guilt, when we think about the different ways, as we've already listed, that we experience guilt and react to guilt, guilt is good if we allow it to lead us to our God's greatness. A broken heart because of sin is better than a heart that is bent on ignoring sin. A heart that is burdened, carrying the regret of sin is better than a heart that is blinded from the continuance of sin. Our brokenness, our burdens can be a blessing if we embrace the goodness of God. If we embrace the forgiveness of God. Once again, I will not ask you to speak up or raise your hand or to say anything from your seat, but we can all attest to a time in our lives where we probably spent way more energy, way more effort, way more work trying to cover up and set aside the guilt that we feel than simply admitting it, recognizing that that guilt can be good when we can take our energy and our effort and our work and use it for God in service to Him. But yet, as we say sometimes, we use the expression, we sometimes keep digging that hole just a little bit deeper, right? A little bit deeper, a little bit at a time. And I'll keep spending effort trying to remember what I lied to my wife about and how, what then I told my coworker about that same situation and what I said to the kids to not have to admit what went wrong or what I did instead of owning up and using that guilt to lead me to God's greatness. When we think about good grief or good guilt it should lead us to something greater and that is serving our God you know the good thing we think about the Bible and about our relationship with God one of the good things is that guilt is a feeling that we absolutely will feel we will feel that in our lifetime because we're human 
But every time we put this slide up here at the end of the lesson, the message is you should feel guilty, but you don't have to stay that way. You don't have to stay that way. You can feel it and allow it to be used for good and move away from it as you turn towards God. We sang just a few moments ago the song, I'm Redeemed. Could you sing that with confidence? You see, God wants you to feel guilt so that you'll get out of your sin, but he also wants you to sing with confidence, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I serve a risen Savior. All of those wonderful songs that we should be able to sing with confidence, even as we sometimes experience guilt. The message this morning as we conclude this lesson is, come to God's greatness. Set aside the guilt, not in ignoring or blaming or denying, but admit to the sin, confess Jesus is Lord, repent of your sins, change internally and externally, and you can be baptized for the remission of your sins. You can come to God's greatness by obeying his plan. We're so, so thankful for that opportunity that presents itself. As we sometimes say, and sometimes we forget to say, 24-7. We stop at the end of the lesson as we've encouraged ourselves with these words to sing a song of encouragement even now, but it's open 24-7. Anytime that you feel guilt, you can use that for good and come to the greatness of God. If you're here this morning, you've never done that by becoming a Christian, putting Christ on in baptism and allowing his blood to wash your sins away so that you can be added to the church by God. We encourage you to do that this morning. And as we try to say most often in this situation, if you want to know more about that, we would study with you as soon as possible to understand the greatness of that commitment. Maybe you're here and you've done that, but like that telltale heart story and like we do in our lives, maybe you've allowed sin to sort of you know, run you away, to separate you from God, and it's difficult to set that aside. It sort of eats us away, rottenness in our bones, as the Bible describes it as well. Brother or sister, if you're here this morning, don't stay in that state. Don't allow your grief, your guilt to be worldly and allow you just to give lip service, not actually change. We're thankful for the opportunity that presents itself that you can come forward as well. You can make your sin known first and foremost to God. But as we've said already, even amongst brothers and sisters, that we can pray with you and for you, that we can encourage you. Guilt is such an awful feeling. But how wonderful it is to serve a great God who sent his only begotten son to take that away so that we can have the hope of a home in heaven. But it takes action on our part, even now as we stand together and as we sing.